This is Laree Daniel Favors, and welcome to The Hub. Beatrice Beckford. She'll be discussing the Juvenile Justice Month and Youth and Family Justice campaigns that Moms Rising is spearheading. Beatrice, it is always a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for being with us today. I was explaining to the audience what the Office of Juvenile Justice and Delinquency Prevention actually is. And I was just about to go into some of the actions that you all at Moms Rising are spearheading to support Juvenile Justice Month. But before we get to that, talk to us, Beatrice, about why Juvenile Justice Month is so important and why Moms Rising is positioning itself to really engage with these levels of campaigning. Yeah, definitely. So every October, we take the time to really focus um, on amplifying our efforts to advance juvenile justice across the country. And that covers a wide range of topics, everything from being safe in your school environment, uh, making sure that young people who have touch points with the criminal legal system have the protections that they need to be safe and get the care that they need, um, and a whole host of other things that help students be safe and families thrive, which ultimately makes communities thrive. So we spend a lot of time building up to Juvenile Justice Month so we can really amplify the efforts that we're doing across the country. And also to teach people that there are ways that they can take action locally, at the municipal level, at the state level, and at the federal level to advance um, policies and systems changes that help support students and families. So at, at its fulcrum, right, Juvenile Justice Month is about young people, it's about families, and it's about communities, and that's why we amplify it. Mm. Talk with us about this Office of Juvenile Justice and Delinquency Prevention. They have some auspicious goals. We, we listed out what their priorities were. How are they doing from the Moms Rising perspective? Are they meeting these goals? Are they centering children and treating children as children throughout the system? What is your perspective on their success? Yeah, I mean, the reality is young people should have the supports that they need to never have a touch point with the criminal legal system. And for many years, we didn't have a dedicated office at the federal level for when those types of situations happen. Um, obviously, like, you know, our policy is that no young people, no child, no person should be in prison, not being able to get supports that they need. We oftentimes find that states have policies that push young people into prisons and jails younger and younger. And so what the Office of Juvenile Justice, uh, JJDP, does um, is they actually ensure that young people who find themselves in um, juvenile detention centers in locally in local communities and at state levels are able to get the protections that they need. Um, and while it's we never want to see children in prison, the reality is that when children are forced into the adult prison system, there are a whole host of egregious abuses that they experience. And this is sort of uniform across all states across the country. When young people are pushed into adult prisons, they are harmed because prisons harm. And um, the only way that we're really able to ensure that there are resources to provide the protection so that they don't continue to enter into the juvenile and criminal justice system is to have these protections that are held within the JJDP, which is an incredible bill that helps us to do that. Mm. It also, you know, a lot of states don't realize that there are resources to prevent young people from ever entering into um, the criminal legal system. And these include alternative to incarceration programs. These are also including 
programs that allow young people to divert the, those those systems, including prisons and jails, and allow them to sort of enter into programs that will provide opportunities and supports, including employment, you know, education, and other sort of enrichment and supplemental programming that we know help young people develop. We know prisons don't do that. We know jails don't do that. Even when we see some states calling juvenile prisons schools, um, they are not schools. They are not places of opportunities for young people. And so to prevent them from entering into the adult system, we have the protections that are held within the JJDP to protect young people when they're in the juvenile system. And so it is an, an important distinction because we see in states across the country, including in places like Mississippi, where youth court judges are able to effectively divert young people from horrific prisons that um, exist in that state like parchment, right? Mm. Um, and so we wanna make sure that these protections stay. We wanna make sure the protections that are held within the JJDP are fully funded. Um, and obviously with the gridlock at the at the congressional level, we oftentimes are having to advocate to ensure that these protections and the funding for those protections stay. So it's an important piece of how we protect young people who have touch points with the criminal legal system. And the financial machinations that have created this gridlock, again, preventable, right? We did not have to right. be here, just like child poverty was preventable. Right. I've been talking about the fact that when Republicans, Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema, and y'all be clear, I'm not saying Republic, Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema are Republicans. I'm saying when the Republican Party as a 100% whole and Democrat Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema chose to... They chose child poverty when they ended the child tax credit. They knew it was going That's to right. create increased poverty. And I just need people to be clear. They chose poverty for children. And and I have to be honest with you, Beatrice, I'm one of them kids who, you know, well, I'm not a kid no more, but thank God for alternatives to incarceration and diversion. Program. That's right. I might only be sitting behind this microphone because a judge in my case as a juvenile saw yeah. that I wasn't a complaint delinquent and gave me an option and gave me an out. And I got to participate in the diversion program instead of dealing with what would have been really a life ending and altering That's situation. Right. Because I know y'all think Miss Larie is all, you know, on top of things right now, but as a 13, <laughs> We know you are. Girl, <laughs> let me tell you, give my mama hell. No, that's yes, right. I did. <laughs> so this effort, because we know that poverty is a choice, because we know that injustice is a choice, you all right. at Moms Rising have some campaigns and some actions that people need to be aware of so that we can ensure that the people in power are choosing to center our children, are choosing to end poverty, are choosing to end injustice for our young people. What is it that we can do? This audience is a very active audience. And in fact, we're about due for a power work assignment. We haven't had an assignment in a little bit of time now. So, uh, Ms. Beatrice, you might be giving us our first assignment on action. Oh, happily. I will yes, happily give please. you some homework, family. <laughs> Break it down for us. What should we yeah, do? Yeah, absolutely. So we have um, a bunch of activities that we're going to be hosting through Juvenile Justice Month. But we do have a series of actions that we're pushing that directly inform um, a lot of these efforts that we're advancing both at the local level and at the state level. So at the federal level, we're working to advance the Counseling Not Criminal Act. This is a bill that is co-sponsored um, by uh, Congressman Murphy and Congresswoman Ayanna Presley. It effectively allows for school districts to invest in restorative justice programs, to invest in uh, police-free school environments. We know that oftentimes when police are in schools, um, that Black, Brown, Indigenous, and students who are living with disabilities are negatively harmed. Um, and disproportionately, those officers are placed in urban and Black and Brown, low-income, working-class community schools. Um, and so we have this particular piece of legislation that we're advancing. It's going to be reintroduced as part of Juvenile Justice.
just this month by Congressman Murphy's office, co-sponsored by Ayanna Presley's office. And it invests millions of dollars in creating safe school environments that are rooted in what we know evidence shows us, that it's not police that keep schools safe, that it's social workers, it's counselors, it's dynamic relationships between students and their teachers. It's the sort of things that create a care community within our schools. And this bill allows us to to resource those things that evidence shows us keep school communities safe and helps students to perform at higher um, academic levels and develop social emotional learning skills that they'll need for the rest of their lives to be sort of dynamic contributors to our society um, and into adulthood. So we're excited to support this um, piece of legislation. We're promoting it heavily um, and we invite others to take action and to share stories about how if you have a school that's, you know, engaging in social emotional learning, engaging in transformative and restorative justice practices, we want to hear from you. And similarly, if you're having negative experiences with police and schools, which you know happens often with families and students, particularly the community, the, the demographics of students that I spoke about, that we know those stories help to create change and we want to hear from you on that too. So visit momsrising.org. All of the places where you can share your stories and take action on those petitions are there and accessible. Another piece of legislation that we are- Before you go to the the next piece, it's called Council Not Criminalization Act. I just want to make sure we have the name right. It's the Counseling Not Criminalization Act, and it does effectively that. It reinvests those resources into counseling and train mental health and um, student support professionals. Um, versus the millions of dollars that and very close to in places like the city of New York, billions of dollars um, on ineffective policing. Yeah. Okay. That's excellent. All right. So that's the first one. What's the next one? The second one is takes us broader, and this is called the People's Response Act. This is a bill that's been introduced at the federal level by Congresswoman Cori Bush's office, and it does something that we've never seen done in response to sort of crime and violence in our communities. We know that because, as you said so beautifully, poverty, our legislators consciously make decisions that advance poverty versus the capacity for communities to have what they need. They um, create policies that are not rooted in evidence, but rooted in these archaic practices of of criminalizing communities that don't look like their own. Um, We see Cori Bush's bill effectively create a public health approach to crime and violence in our communities. And so it would create a sort of... um, uh, a, a department of health, a department within the Department of Health and Human Services that would coordinate research, technical assistance, grant programs for non-carceral health-centered um, investments in public safety. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't say let's give more money to police departments. It doesn't say let's give more money to the Department of Justice. It doesn't say let's you know ramp up community policing. What it says is we actually have been doing these things and throwing billions of dollars into policing and prisons. And we can actually take a different approach because research shows us that a different approach works. And so it creates a public health response, um, which takes into consideration poverty and violence, which takes into consideration adverse childhood experiences. It also launches a federal first responder unit with state and local governments that are non-police response units. We know that sometimes when there's crisis, the first and only option that people have is to call police. Um, But they are not trained 
social workers. They're not trained psychologists. They do not have extensive training um, in mental health uh, interventions. Um, it, most police actually have less training than teachers do. Um, they go for a couple of months, but we throw billions of dollars at them as the solution to all things. Um, this bill changes that. It also invests $2.5 billion in that first responder hiring so that we have the infrastructure to create a more public health um, uh, oriented approach to public safety. So it says, while policing may be one lever, that if we actually look at crime and violence broadly, if we look at the sort of ways in which communities navigate um, the years and years of divestment that is not their fault, um, that we can actually create safer communities by not disappearing people into prisons, by not flooding our schools with police and actually investing in what the research shows us works. So give us the title of this of this legislation again, because I want people to go to their five calls app. I want you to dust off the, the phone numbers for your Congress members and your senators, because right. we need to be have these these pieces, these names front of mind so that we are able to communicate about them. Give us the name of this act. Again, this is the one that's being sponsored by uh, uh, Congresswoman Cori Bush. That's correct. This is sponsored okay. and introduced by Congresswoman Cori Bush just this past month. It was also introduced last year and it has been expanded since then. This is the People's Response Act, rightfully named um, because, mm -hmm. you know, we keep us safe. And so yes. um, please do call your elected officials, tell them to support the People's Response Act. Um, it is what our communities desperately need and what our families um, deserve. So, mm -hmm. yeah, the People's Response Act. OK, thank you for that. What else should we be aware of? So the other thing is we're also seeing a lot of really wonderful innovation happening at the community level. In Chicago in Ward 2, we're seeing a, a care, not cops, community responder model that was introduced as a pilot. We're seeing um, in other places a co-responder model. We're seeing um, in places like Jackson, Mississippi, and right here in New York, the expansion of credible messenger violence interrupter programs. And so we want folks to be calling their elected officials, whether at the city council, the state and federal level level um, and telling them to invest resources in um, non-carceral and non-policing crisis response, um, which includes interesting things, like I said, the co-responder models um, and the expansion of first responders that are trained to be able to intervene in a moment where there's mental health crisis. We know people are reeling after the pandemic and sort of into what will likely be a continued culture of pandemic. Um, and so we want to make sure that people have what they need, folks you know, struggle for a whole host of reasons, like you shared uh, elected officials consciously choosing to cut something that significantly elevated millions of children out of poverty. And so we still have this uphill battle, but this uphill battle um, can start in our own communities with our own elected leaders um, and with us sort of stewarding that policy as constituents. And so please do contact your elected officials. Please do contact your city council representatives, um, your community boards, and talk to them about, you know, credible messenger programs, violence interrupter programs, and how they can be connected to resources at the state and federal level that are growing these, um, these efforts significantly. Um, it's also a, a great way for young people who have had touch points to sort of be part of a solution, right? They talk to other young people, which is what's so beautiful about the Credible Messenger Program is it takes people who have lived experience with the criminal legal 
system because they've been, had entered into it or had harm, been harmed by it, and help other young people not enter into that, help other people and families who are, um, you know, having a hard time be able to sort of divert that. So it's sort of a more personalized alternative to, um, you know, a touch point with the criminal legal system um, mm -hmm. offering. And many cities are implementing this or starting to implement this. Um, and we need more of us advocating for these types of um, responses in our communities. Absolutely. Now, I, I the violence interrupters that, you know, the name kind of it clearly indicates what it is. It's an entity or, or concept that people who have experienced the streets are often really great at helping to interrupt future violence from happening mm -hmm. in the streets and employing folks who have the connections, have the respect of them boys and them girls who be right. on them corners in a, a, as an OG, right? And we not just mean That's OG right. in terms of a title, we mean OG in terms of able to exercise the elders' wisdom, regardless of how you think they got it, but the elders' wisdom to help really ensure that young people are, are healthily navigating their, their beef and their issues and their challenges with each other. But the Care Not Cops, that, that's a little bit less clear. What exactly is the Care Not Cops program? You mentioned this is happening in the second, uh, in, uh, I believe you said- in Yep, Ward in Ward 20 in Chicago. In Chicago. Ward 20, and this was okay. put on the Yep, this was put on the ballot as a referendum. It was hard fought actually by young people um, in the city connected to an organization called Good Kids Mad City. Um, mm -hmm. They advocate pretty extensively, and we've had the privilege of working with them in the past, sort of advancing the things that they're advocating for um, in a city that gets a bad rap, right? Um, but also as a city that's been heavily divested from in opportunity and resources, and that had a mayor that despite a public survey that said, we don't want more money going to police, we want more money going to schools and mental health services for our community, continued to funnel millions of dollars into, poli and, into ineffective policing, as I shared before. Mm -hmm. But the beautiful thing about the Care Not Cops is that it actually creates um, resources at the city level to pilot a program that creates for first responders that are trained um, to address and navigate mental health crises. Um, oftentimes, we know that when police arrive at a scene, they are trained to, you know, arrest and detain. That's what they're trained to do. De-escalate, if you can call it that, um, arrest and detain. I don't know anybody that's getting arrested or detained that ever feels like things are being de-escalated, but that's what they're trained to do. They're not trained, you know, in how to de-escalate somebody who's navigating a bipolar manic um, episode. They don't know how to navigate somebody who's, you know, feeling depressed and maybe non-responsive or not provide the sort of basic demographic information that they're expecting to be provided. Mm -hmm. um, and they oftentimes don't have the time, right? They're being called for everything. If you have a medical issue and you call 911, oftentimes the police officers are the first on the scene. And last time I checked, they weren't cardiac surgeons. So, you know, the beautiful thing about these municipal efforts like what's happening in Ward 20 in Chicago and was, was advanced by the organizing of people in that community and throughout the city is that it actually creates an evidence-based mental health crisis response for people mm -hmm. navigating crisis in a community that does not have um, a police um, element to it. And so um, it's really important. And there are these projects happening across the country. Um, there are websites that list, you know, things you can do instead of calling the cops in a crisis moment, because we know that sometimes that that makes situations worse. And we don't want situations work be because people get harmed when that happens. And so Ward 20, Care Not Cops, mental health crisis response that is evidence-based, and that's what our communities need. 
And we have just a second or so left, but or a minute or so left, rather. But I just want to remind you all, folks, over a year ago, I think two years ago when this show first started, in that year, we highlighted a few programs. There was one in Denver, Colorado. There are some programs that were pilot programs. One happened took place in Brownsville, New York. Uh, I believe it was mm-hmm. last year. Key programs in small com- spaces that were able to be controlled and studied and evaluated. And when you send mental health experts to mental health crises, people don't get shot. It's amazing, Beatrice. It's amazing. The cops don't shoot you when they're not there to shoot you with their bad training. It's amazing the successes in getting people the help that they actually need when we provide the type of care that the situation requires. A lot of times we send police to do everything. We don't need police to come get the cat out the tree. We we need police to do policing things and and far fewer things as we envision them require police. And so, you know, there's that as well. Beatrice, thank you so much for, for helping to break this down and making it simple for us how can people follow you and moms rising because these campaigns we have got to join and promote and amplify what's the best way to do that yes absolutely you can reach us at momsrising.org www.momsrising.org you can also follow us on our socials that's at moms rising on instagram twitter and facebook we work on a range of issues so you know visit our sites take action on our petition for Juvenile Justice Month, we're launching a coloring contest, so you can check that out on our blog. Um, and for folks that contribute a submission, it can be young people, young and 100. Um, we're providing color- a coloring book that talks about all of our issues. So mm-hmm. come and join us. Um, we need all of us in this, and we're happy to, to come along together. So thanks for having me. 